0: Hey folks, welcome to the House of Krause. I'm Richard Krause. Now, like the rest of the planet, it seems, everyone around the House of Krause is pretty excited for the release of Star Wars The Force Awakens this week. I had the chance to sit down uh, with a key component, one of the people who made Star Wars great, one of the people who was with Star Wars from the very beginning. When I was 13 years old and lined up to see the first movie, i lined up to see this guy now you may have heard his voice uh in the animated adaptation of the lord of the rings Uh, you may have seen him in a recurring role on prime suspect opposite helen mirren Uh, you might have seen him in i bought a vampire a motorcycle but you're probably more likely to recognize the voice of anthony daniels he was the voice and the body underneath the gold suit of C-3PO starting in 1977. He's the only cast member to appear in all the films. And I sat down with him recently and we talked about a lot of things. We talked about his acting career before making Star Wars. We talked about artificial intelligence. We talked about many, many things. It's an interesting, engaging conversation. And I dare you to get the image of that little gold face out of your mind while you're listening to his voice. Here's Anthony Daniels. I was really interested to hear in in, in one of the interviews that we did earlier today.
1: It's uh, quite funny, you've shape-shifted all day.
0: Yes, yeah. We've
1: been a constant in some ways. (laughs) In one of them I said, all you
0: you said. You you talked about uh, how you were working on the stage in London. Yes. And what sort of roles were you playing and what sort of roles did you want to play?
1: It's very odd. The uh, you know I'm getting old enough to begin to. Uh, I suppose be aware of my inadequacies, and I, I I don't mean this in the, you know, other than the way it sounds. I only ever wanted to act. I only ever wanted to perform. Now, why that was, whether I was attention seeking or, I don't know, covering up or trying to make people feel good or whatever. But for some reason, that was my. My lot in life, that my personality was like that. And um, acting uh, attracted me, f- and I could never tell you why. It just did. I always say that I was incredibly lucky to be given a calling, a vocation. Unfortunately, it wasn't a vocation to be a brain surgeon or a billionaire banker, you know, all that kind of thing. It was to be an actor, which is like. Nice the silliest thing to want to be, because you're going to live a life of humiliation and rejection for the most part. But I wanted to do it. Now, if you stop there, I say I was lucky to be given a vacation because I didn't, I didn't have to think what I wanted to do in life. What happened, of course, was so many things were put in my way, either by me or by other people, by my own fears, um, by my parents' need for me to have a career. Because they worried, you know. Why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. These days it's all different. Oh, you want to invent uh, computer games? Fine, go off and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you want to be a, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a, a go on the X Factor and, you know. Become a singer or a pop Become a star? singer or, or just famous for being famous. Go, do it. Um, the world has, has definitely moved on during uh, these decades. Um, what I, I just wanted to act. I didn't mind what in, in a way. Um, and the really interesting thing for me, because it took me some years to realise it, that the, the play I finally was in, a week before we went to Tunisia to, to film the first, the first Star Wars, was a play that some people will know. It's Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Mm-hmm. Two tiny characters in Hamlet, But in Tom Stoppard's play, Hamlet is a tiny character, and these two, R and G, are nobodies. They're friends of Hamlet at university, and they're used as spies by uh, Claudius the King. So they are two nobodies who are pushed around by events, by politics, by monarchs, and eventually they die. They are put to death Mm -hmm. in England. And Tom Stoppard wrote this extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary modern classic play. If you ever see it, it's on, go see it. Yeah. Um, it's about two nobodies. It's about Rosencrantz, who is a kind of dogged, um, a bit sort of gung-ho, doesn't think, uh, doesn't work things out, really just goes for the main thing. And his friend Guildenstern, who's much more reserved, much more intellectual, much more... Um, thinks about things, worries about things, and there I am uh, a week later playing C-3PO in the desert with, the, with this R2-D2 unit. I would say it was about three or four years, five years later that I saw, something in my brain went, wait a minute, R2-3PO, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, and maybe that's how because the 3PO is the clever one, you know, and R2 is the gung-ho one, and um, there's a nice uh, synergy there or, or uh, uh, connection, I think, um, but it's a classic relationship, the, the, the kind of the, the odd couple buddies, and it gives you a great dynamic to, um, to to act off. The problem for me was that R2-D2 never made any sound, so I was playing off Myself, quite, a, you know, not aggrandizing myself. But it was quite a challenge to do that. It was a bit like some uh, terrible whose Line Is It Anyway?" where you're pretending that this chair is your best friend, you know. So, um, anyway, I got away with it. You got away with it, yeah. and
0: and you know. so the
1: first time I saw the movie, and Ben Burt had added all those beeps and burbles. Oh, so and,
0: those weren't there.
1: Oh, totally not. Oh. No, no, it was, a, it was a silent unit. It was. Um, no, it, was like it. it was like acting next to a desk. Yeah, <laughs> or, no. to a desk. Um, or to a desk. Oh, to a desk. And so when I saw the movie, and there was R2's beeps and responses and whatever, it was to me it was total magic because that was the first time I ever saw it, you know. And Ben had woven a, a conversation uh, after the fact, if you will. So, um, and, and it did work out pretty well. And, and now in the subsequent. Years. Yeah. Is it still done that way, or do, oh, totally. The, oh, all the sounds are put on afterwards.
0: Really. Yeah. I, I would think that that would be such a, a challenge for an actor.
1: No. They, well, I got used to it. I yeah. had to very quickly yeah. um, because there, it wasn't going to be done any other way. Um, and now you, yeah, that, that's it. I'm just so used to um, doing it that way. Uh, and in fact, if I anyway, so that that's. Um, So it really was improvisation and and I had to kick in because nobody told me that would be the case. Mm -hmm. You know, the first first scene I think I waited for a reply, nothing (laughs) happened. (laughs) Ah, You'd think they would have told me. Did George Lucas, what did he tell
0: you about the character? Or how was it set up for you?
1: I think he just gave me the script. Because in the script, it was there. Here's a character who who told you that he was unhappy, told you he was uncomfortable, told you he was programmed for protocol and etiquette. Totally irrelevant in that world. So you knew from what he was saying and and the circumstances in which he was placed. You know, he has to run away from a spaceship, crash land in a place he hated. What a desolate place this is. Uh, you know, he told. He was overt in his discomfort, in a, in a quite charming sort of way. So, really, the script informed me and and the audience what was going on. We, George and I, I don't think had many discussions about uh, his inner soul because yeah. maybe George didn't. Think he had one. I sort of do. I sort of wonder what he thinks about it now. Does he dream? Of electric sheep. That's right. <laughs> there, uh, there is a film that I have grown to respect more and more called uh, iRobot, mm-hmm. which has some very worrying conceptual lines in the script from Sonny the, the Robot. Um, Way cleverer than I first realized when I first saw it. You know, first of all, it seems an effects movie. Mm-hmm. But actually, if you watch it again, you think this is serious. There's another film recently out called uh, Ex Machina, the same thing. Um, there are writers who are really considering quite important intellectual, philosophical uh, notions of robotics, of artificial life, of artificial intelligence. And the older we get, the more we're going to deal with artificial mm-hmm. intelligence. And it, it, it can be quite a worrying subject. And given that I, I teach at Carnegie Mellon University sometimes, and uh, in Pittsburgh they have a huge robotics lab, you know, there's a lot of investment going into AI
0: well i mean if we think of robots it's just slightly differently than you know a humanoid form yeah. in this there are soon going to be driverless cars on the street that's a form of a robot there's yes. a, the life life is is pointed in that direction which at the time that the first Star Wars movie came out would have seemed like science fiction. I mean, My cell phone would have seemed like science fiction. Everything that we kind of take for granted today or much of what we take for granted today would have been as
1: strange looking as anything in that film. Star Trek always uh, more more science forward looking than, than Star Wars. Yeah. Star Trek way back, people talked into their wrist thing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> now look at us, oh, it's gone too far. One of the most charming things that happens to me is when an adult will bring a, a, a child and say, he doesn't kind of believe you're C-3PO. And why would he? I'm some old guy, you know, white hair and all that kind of thing. And um, so I do the voice, and you see the, the sound go in one ear, and then there is a absolutely realistic time delay whilst the brain, the synapses, process this, so nothing happens for a second, a second and a half. And suddenly a smile, and a, bit, and a sense of excitement. I love that d- delay in whilst they process, I hear a sound, I recognize the sound, the sound <laughs> is, oh, my reaction. That is the, you couldn't buy that. Yeah. I had been given that, and it, it gives me utter joy. Because it's without guile, it's it, just an honest recognition of something I did. I love that.
0: And we talked about this earlier in the day, though, but that wasn't always the case, I don't think, with you. That, that, that Well, maybe the recognition right away, but also it took you... No, no, I,
1: I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't associated with the right. costume in the, in the first movie because they wanted people to believe it was a real robot, mm-hmm. and people did. Certain... Stretch of the imagination right. there. But, um, so I, I wasn't really a, a part of the first film when it, it came out. But, but that has changed. It, it, but, it, but now I got the sense from talking to you earlier today that
0: you have a much more comfortable understanding about your place in popular culture now than maybe you did a number of years ago.
1: Yes, uh, how would I put it, that because the the fan base and I don't really like using that word fan. Um, it sounds uh, belittling, right. and it's it's not. They've got because of the audiences around the world who clearly are, have enormous affection to the whole shebang, and, and me as a part of it. And you know, I've been in places where people are really quite overt about their, their liking Three i um, I've begun to accept that this was what I was given by some power, force, whatever you call it, um, to give to the world, <laughs> he, he said Riley, or with a smirk or whatever. Um, I've been really lucky yeah. to, to be given this chance. And, you know, you, you don't, always, it, sometimes it takes, a, like, like the delay in, in hearing my voice, which is a few seconds, um, here it's taken me a few years yeah. to get to that point where I can smile at having been given the opportunity to do what I did. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a bit of a conversion moment. And and now I'm proud to, uh, to, you know, I don't boast about it. I don't go around saying, do you know who I am? God, (laughs) if you ever hear me say that. Um. (laughs) I would say, though, that if you're calling a restaurant
0: and trying to get reservations and they say there's no tables, do the C-3PO voice.
1: a table will uh, will emerge then they'd say and there's no table tomorrow (laughs) I'm known in various restaurants in London only because we go there a lot and and we're at uh, at home and that's it and uh, I don't think people would be terribly impressed to have, were I to enter in a gold suit (laughs) then I could have the entire room to myself but I tend not to do that there's a lot of people who don't know what I do for a living and if you came to our home in London you you wouldn't it's, you know there's there's one object that is Star Wars and that only arrived six months ago the Lego the Lego okay. just the one object but the rest hmm. that's my business life if you will it, it, it,
0: it, there's a story that I'd read about uh, a GPS uh, a, yes you know, and it was your voice on the GPS yes. and you were kind of
1: like enough I, did, I felt uncomfortable with me telling me very clearly, giving me instructions for, uh, for something I didn't know, and it's totally true. Uh, I found it really quite uh, bizarre yeah. uh, because, there were, you know, at the, I remember it was the phrase, at the, f- at the next roundabout, turn left, take the fifth exit. And I am driving, I'm in France, you know, and I'm driving and I'm thinking this is unnatural this, the cleverness, you see, there's AI, there's artificial intelligence, uh, very useful unless it sends you down the wrong road, which of course it often does. Um, I wasn't entirely comfortable, and there will be many times in our lives when AI will confront us, and I think, I, I kind of don't, that's gone too far, you've touched something here that I'm not licensing you to touch at this time. Look, I hate predictive texting. Mm-hmm. I, I don't text very often. But when it gives me a word, I think, no, right. stupid. I mean, that's not what I want to say. And it's trying to be helpful, but it's a little too close. We are going to, to lose various skills. Does it matter? People get new skills. I mean, you see these kids with their thumbs banging around. on. You see me texting. It's one finger.
0: I, I tend to dictate all my texts and I, it's, it's uh, something on my, my cell phone and, and I, had, I was on medication a while ago that made my hands numb and so it was easier to dictate so I oh, started yeah, dictating yeah. and uh, I am going back and forth with my editor about a story and we're disagreeing on the use of a semicolon I don't know what it was something, something very we're, difficult we're, yeah we're going back and forth about it and then finally we came to uh, we came to an agreement and I went to text and I said perfect with an exclamation mark, and to to dictate that you say, perfect, exclamation mark, and you send it. You hit send, and just as I hit send, I realized that it had auto-corrected to pervert with an exclamation mark, (laughs) and I said said that out to him, and I thought, let's just see what happens here. Let's see see what kind of response
1: that's been. (laughs) Oh, at the end of today, that's a really lovely story.
0: I really enjoyed talking to Anthony Daniels. You know, he would talk about anything. We talked about many, many things. That was an edited version of the conversation. But still, even when we veered off and talked about other stuff, I still could not get it out of my head that I was talking to C-3PO. It just would not go away. My inner 14 year old head was ready to explode almost all the way through that conversation. Anyway, thanks so much for stopping by the House of Crouse. We have to go right now. We have to go line up to go see Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Uh, so we're out of here and that means you have to leave too, but come back next Monday. We put a new show up every single week and you never know who'll stop by for a visit.